Turn with me to Titus chapter 1 verse 9. We're in the middle of talking about the, or near the end of talking about the qualifications of an elder. Last week we focused in on the moral and family characteristics which are to be in the lives of every elder of the church of God. This week we want to focus on the one true skill that is required of that man that would be an elder. That group of men which would be elders. That skill is the teaching of God's Word. You know, these qualifications that are listed here from verses 6 to 8 are just common among brethren. All of those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ should have these characteristics, these traits in their life. The difference in an elder and just your common believer should be that the elder's life is exemplary. In other words, everyone should be striving in the grace of God to be more and more like Christ, which is listed for us in 6 through 8, those characteristics which are like Christ. The elder is simply to be one who's progressed in that development and is an example to all who sit under his teaching. In truth, those characteristics listed in 6 through 8 are the very platform that the man of God stands on to preach. If he doesn't have those characteristics in place, he may teach with all the passion and zeal of a great orator, but that will probably fall on deaf ears because each person in the congregation will remember him not as a man who's Christ-like, but as a man who is quick to temper, who's not disciplined, who is given to much wine possibly. Maybe he's not a one-woman man. All of those characteristics, his children are not orderly and in, and in order following his leadership. And so he's, almost, he's disqualified by his very life. And his teaching falls on deaf ears. Even if he taught like an angel, he wouldn't be heard very well. The pastor is no superhuman. One thing we come to realize as we study the New Testament is the apostles themselves were not superhuman. They all had sin. Peter. <laughs> Peter is guilty of sin. We see it not only before the resurrection but after as he rejects the Gentile believers. As he refuses and is slow in heart, being a hypocrite to accept them as equals with him in the faith. We see it even in Paul's life that he, he could be quick, to, uh, quick to, to his temper. I believe that his parting the ways with Barnabas, though God used it sovereignly, is possibly a chink in his armor. Barnabas wanted to give grace to John Mark. Paul had had enough. They drew a line, or Paul drew a line, which Barnabas couldn't cross, so he went his way and Paul his. Now, God multiplied the ministry. But that short temper in that moment, that, that, that inability to see the good in John Mark, really, really, I think, plagued him. And you see it in 2 Timothy as he's dying. Who does he ask for? Bring John Mark. He is very good for me. I think at the end of his life, he saw that he even moved quickly. And he called himself the chief of sinners. So if the apostles themselves are not superhuman, how could any preacher today claim some superhuman ability? Well, this just doesn't exist. We're all men. Sinners leading other sinners, imitating Christ Jesus. Paul has given Titus clear instructions as he seeks to lay down the foundation of the new church there in the new churches there in the island of Crete. And so he gives these clear instructions regarding the character of the elder because these men's character will be a platform for their teaching and their ability to expound on God's Word. 
the godly pastor stands exemplary in both his doctrine and his character, according to Titus chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Listen to the words of Paul to his other son in the faith. Second, in 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4, we find this passage. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, Timothy, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to, uh, to uh, satisfy their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I wonder if that might not be a good description of today. In the Evangelical Church of America, are we not a fulfillment of Paul's words to his son Timothy? Wandering off into myths, finding our own way, not following the doctrine once delivered to the saints through the apostles by Jesus Christ. I think it's true. It's a clear statement of the age in which we now live. We are told that preaching in our day is out of date. You ever heard someone say that? Truth is relative, and the Bible is at best an ancient book of some moral stories as examples to us. I've heard all of these statements, and I'm sure you've heard this in discussions with others. Our modern churches have replaced preaching and teaching with music, drama, political action. We've replaced it with entertainment, with group discussions, and we've even gone so far as to uh, just make it a multimedia experience where the proclaiming of God word, God's Word is not done, but rather we watch a film and discuss the film. That's now the newest rage and the NUMA film series, which is just produced, I told you last, a few weeks ago, 16 films. This is on the 16th volume, the NUMA series is. Nothing makes it to the 16th volume lest it's bought and running off the shelf as fast as they can put it there. So we are told... In Titus, what as elders? I believe we're told to hold on to the truth. I think Paul would say to us, just as he did to Titus and Timothy, in this day where men are rushing headlong out of the, uh, out of the church to follow the paths of this world, hold on to the truth. Paul says in, in, in Titus 1.9, as we look at the Scripture, he says, the elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. We've come to the end here of this passage. Today I want us to see from this passage that a godly elder must have a firm grasp on the doctrine. He must be able to teach sound doctrine. And he must be competent to defend Sound doctrine. Three things I want us to see. First of all, a godly elder has a firm grasp on the, and it's in italics for a reason, the doctrine. The key phrase for us here in verse 9 is look at it. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. You see that phrase? The trustworthy word as taught. Pastors are not to be entrepreneurs of new teaching. Pastors are not supposed to be bringing you new words from God. We're to bring you the word delivered from God through the apostles once and for all. That's our job. In a day where we crave inventive and creative pastors, 
I think it's time the church begin to crave again that pastor who simply stands on the doctrine delivered to him through the Word of God by God Himself. I don't even know why we fancy ourselves smart enough to come up with new teachings. We haven't exhausted the one book He's given us. Why do we need to invent something new? Could it be that we church have become the church of itching ears? Could it be that what we're really after is not creativity, but we're after a new teaching, a new gospel, because we don't want the old gospel. We don't want that Jesus. Richard Baxter said this. Listen to what he said. I am a spirit come from God and returning to God, just hovering over a great gulf till a few moments hence I am no more seen. I drop into an unchangeable eternity. I want to know one thing. The way to heaven. God Himself has condescended to teach the way. For this very end He came from heaven. He hath written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. I have it, He says. I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. Let me be a man of one book. Here then I am, far from the busy ways of men. I sit down alone. Only God is here. In His presence I open. I read His book. For this end, for this purpose I read the book, He says. To find the way to heaven. We need pastors that dare to believe what Richard Baxter believed. He was a pastor for many years, a great man of the faith. And he only wanted one book, God's book. And he didn't want it so he could tell you about it. He wanted it so he might know the way to heaven. I tell you, this is an elder. This man was an elder. The elders must hold firm to the Word of God. That's what the text says. And that word hold firm there is to cling to or to adhere to something or someone that's what it literally means, to cling to something. Not to merely grab it and let it go. Not to merely grab at it sometimes and then let it go and then come back to it. But to cling to it as if your very life depends on it. I get the picture here in the Greek of a man hanging on to the edge of a cliff with his fingernails. He's clinging to that cliff. If he lets go, he's a dead man. And he knows it. And so he clings to it. That's what it means to hold firm. Hold firm, Paul says. Titus, if you're going to bring strong churches into existence in Crete, you've got to hold firm to the Word of God. He must cling not to position, to power. He must not cling to success. He must not cling to church members. He must not even cling to money or to his family. He must cling to the Word and the Word alone. Cling to it. Hold to it, Titus. If you don't, You are not an elder. And if you're not an elder, there is no elder in Crete. And if there's no elder, the church itself will be destroyed. The word there, hold firm to the word, the trustworthy word. That word there is logos. It's used in Scripture to refer to the written word of God and the incarnate word of God. Jesus called himself the word of God. And so not only do we have this book, but in clinging, This is a statement I want you to remember. No man can cling to Jesus, the incarnate Word, 
unless he also clings to the written Word. Anybody who tells you, I love Jesus, but I don't love that book, is a liar. You say, well, that's strong words. They're true. If you sitting in that pew say, oh, I love Jesus. I have no problems with Jesus. Jesus is just all right with me. But that book you're toting around is a book that I will not submit to. That book you're carrying around, it may be okay for some people, but it just doesn't work for my lifestyle. It's not good for me. Well, I would tell you, not because I am authoritative, but because of the authoritative word. If you don't cling to this word, you cannot cling to him. The word is from him, and it is for him, and it is about him. The elders must be men that hold firm to the word of God. The elders must be men of the word. They don't need to be telling others to be of the word. They need to be of the word. We get this picture that the Word is perfect. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture. I'm talking about even the genealogies. You ever seen the genealogies? Especially in the Old Testament. You ever been to Chronicles and seen the list? I'm telling you, God even breathed that. And there is truth in it. Now, there's not as much dynamic doctrine in those lists of names as there is in Titus. But it's still important. If it weren't important, God wouldn't have given it to you. I'm telling you, every and, every but, every therefore, every so, I'm telling you, every single word in this book is God's Word. It is perfect. That means it has no error. It is perfect. That means it stands as the authority. This Word is what they must hold on to. The Word is perfect. The Word is useful. The word is useful. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, And profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And so we're told here in 2 Timothy 3.16, all of the Scripture is breathed out by God, and all of it is profitable. All of it is useful. Yes, that means that someday, if God tarry long enough, we'll teach in Genesis the genealogies. And you'll say, well, that's a waste of time. I'm skipping that Sunday. No, there'll be great, great truth there for the people of God. The Word is perfect. The Word is useful. The Word of God is sufficient. It's sufficient. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. There is nothing else to make you Christ-like except this written Word. This Word makes you Christ-like. It is perfect. It is useful. It is sufficient. And that is what the elders hold to. A true elder holds to the Word. It clings to the Word, both Christ and the written Word. And that written Word is perfect, it's useful, and it's sufficient for all things. The elder, sole platform for leadership is God's Word. If he didn't have the Word, he'd have no authority. Acts 6, verse 4. Listen to what the apostles themselves said. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Now, they could have done a lot of things. They had busy schedules. There were people to heal. There were demons to cast out. There were widows to take care of. All of it good. All of it godly. All of it needed. None of it reached the level of holding to the ministry of the Word. And if the apostles needed the word for their authority, 
How much more do I need it? How much more do elders need the Word of God for authority? I tell you, we live in an age where men claim authority for themselves, don't we? We live in an age of the church where men dare to stand up and ask you to follow them based on who they are, their charismatic personality, and their interpretation of their own teachings. I want to tell you, that is blasphemous. No man has authority inherent in himself. Every man who has authority in the church has it only because he holds, clings, grabs hold of this word. So you say, should we follow you? I want to tell you, you should follow me. You should follow Aaron. You should follow Carlton and any other elder that we have in the future. You should follow those men as long as they show themselves to be clinging to the Word of God. And when they turn that loose, you better turn us loose. Because if you follow us, you will fall and you will fail. God didn't establish a papacy, an inerrant man. I don't care what they say or how many times they bow their knee to him. I was hurt yesterday, grieved in my spirit that someone would dare to say at St. Patrick's Cathedral on CNN, when the Pope walked in the room, it was just like Jesus walked in the room. No, it wasn't. The Pope is no Jesus. And there's no Protestant man who can take his place. There's one Lord, and his name is Jesus Christ. And any man who comes in his name, holding to this word, has authority. And any man who comes in his own name to tell you what he thinks should be thrown out and dismissed. The elder of the church of God grasps to the doctrine. Not just some doctrine, the doctrine. And what doctrine is it? I challenge you to read First and Second Timothy and Titus, the pastoral, uh, pastoral epistles, and notice the focus of Paul on the Word of God, on preaching and on sound doctrine. It's all through the pages. And what is sound doctrine, Paul? Can you answer the question for us? Well, I think he does in Titus. Look in verse 4. I mean, excuse me, verse uh, 1 through 3. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in His Word, you see, through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. He manifested His doctrine through the Word and the preaching which He commissioned. Look in chapter 3 and see what we're to preach. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, what are we supposed to preach? This is it. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through who? Through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's what we're to preach. That's the doctrine delivered from the apostles 
to us once and for all, written down in this Word that we cling to and preach as if our lives depended on it. One preacher said, I preach as if eternity hangs in the balance. Another said, I preach as if men's lives depended on it. And that's the truth. Secondly, in this passage, we see a godly elder must be able to teach sound doctrine. Dr. Al Mohler says this, when the minister of the gospel faces the judgment of the Lord God. Now, this is a, pat, a, a quote I want to listen to. When this man faces the judgment of the Lord God, there will be many questions addressed to him. There will be many standards of accountability. There will be many criteria of judgment. But in the end, the most essential criteria of judgment for the minister of God is, quotation marks, do you preach the word? Did you preach the Word? Did you fully carry out the ministry of the Word? In season and out of season was the priority of ministry, the preaching of the Word. Now, has Al Mohler gone too far? I would say not. Hold your place in Titus. And as I was studying this week, this passage, turn to Hebrews just a couple of pages over and see what God says Very famous verse, okay? Very famous. Starting in verse 11, chapter 4, verse 11. Listen to what he says. Read along with me. Children, follow this. This is important. Let us therefore strive to enter the rest, that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Very famous verse, isn't it? Right here. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Nobody, nobody have I ever heard preach on verse 13. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom... We must give account. When I read that this week, again, looking at Titus in verse 9 where he says, you, He must hold, the elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, to the trustworthy doctrine as taught. When I read it, and then I looked over at Hebrews 4, my heart, my heart crumbled. I could do nothing but pray and ask for God's mercy. Saying, Lord, I stand naked and exposed before Your Word. And as I hold it out, it points back at me. And I've got to give account for every word, every thought, every line that I utter from this pulpit. I want to tell you, we should be warning other pastors about their duty as elders because they're going to stand naked and exposed before Christ one day, and His main question will be, did you faithfully hold out to them My Word? And there will be nowhere to hide, and there will be no excuse. In an age where men are focused on entertainment, on moving to the top, on coming up with a new and, 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 and attractive teaching, where men are writing books about how you might do better in your own life and the 12 ways to happiness and success, Jesus stands in heaven saying, 
all of you must give account to me. And I'm going to ask based on one thing. What did you do with my word? What did you do? And he not only does that for the elder, he does it for you. He does it for you. We must cling to this word. We must teach this doctrine. Exhort. The Bible, your translation may say exhort. That means to urge them, to beseech them, to encourage them. Exhort sound, healthy, healthy teaching, doctrine. Exhort sound doctrine or teaching. That's what the passage says. The elder must be, trust, be, be holding firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. That's his role. The elder is to give instruction in sound doctrine. To call them alongside him as he lives the word. To encourage and exhort them to live the word with him. He's to be a shepherd to the flock. Shepherds don't hang out in the back driving their sheep. Shepherds get out front. And they walk where the sheep need to go. An elder walks where his sheep need to go. There is a measure of safety and protection for everyone under a godly leadership structure. And the measure of that safety is God in the lives of those leaders. And they're able to look and say, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You say, well, I can go to a church that doesn't have godly elders. You can, and you can also follow them down the path of destruction. You say, well, I just don't know if there are any pastors out there doing that. Paul had not so much as planted the church in Ephesus before he came back and told them, be careful. There are those who are coming in like sheep, but they are wolves in sheep's clothing, and they're designed to lead you astray. Be careful, church, who you watch on TV as they handle God's Word, who you listen to on the radio, who you read, who you sit under their teaching, and how long you sit there. Be careful, because it will destroy your faith to be under an apostate's teaching. And it will be so deceptive, it will be so entangled with a little bit of truth that you won't be able to outright say whether it's true or not. It will be confusing and it will lead you astray. It is like Jeremiah said, they have come in and they have struck the sheep and the sheep are scattered like sheep without a shepherd. Fall under the leadership of a group of men who are godly shepherds. Not driving you somewhere but in front of you leading you to that place, walking there themselves. I thought about the Muslim faith. It's a clear example to me. How many mullahs are dying in car bombs? How many uh, teachers of the Muslim faith has strapped on a bomb and walked in a convenience store to kill innocent people? I hadn't heard of any. But they stand behind their followers, driving them to do it, don't they? And they're leading many to destruction. And be careful, because it's easy to spot that in the Muslim, and sometimes it's hard for us to see it in our own churches. As that man makes legalism the way to Christ rather than the grace of God and the gift of God through Jesus Christ. As that man makes church attendance and Bible reading and praying essential to your very justification 
rather than the blood of Jesus Christ alone. As you sit under that teaching where a denomination is propped up as righteous while all others are torn down, be careful. Be careful that you sit under good teaching where the sound doctrine, the healthy doctrine is taught. The elder is constantly calling others to walk with him in healthy teaching. The godly elder trusts nothing but the Word for good instruction. He trusts nothing but the Word. Nothing but the Word. Second Timothy 4, he, uh, Paul tells Timothy, preach the Word. Don't psychologize. Don't give them self-help. Don't tell them some good things to do. Preach the Word, Timothy. In season and out of season. In season and out of season. Rebuke them. Exhort them. Complete patience and teaching should be your goal. I tell you that we are held accountable. Martin Luther said this about preaching. I simply taught. This is what he said about the Reformation. I simply taught, preached, wrote God's Word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And when while I slept or drank Wittenberg's beer with my Philip and my Ensdorf, the Word so greatly weakened the Pope and his followers that never a prince or emperor inflicted such damage upon it. I did nothing. The Word did it all. Martin Luther said, I didn't do it. I didn't reform the church. God's Word reformed the church. And when I was sleeping and when I was with my friends making merry, God's Word brought down the papacy and the church of the Catholic faith. And in its place stood a strong and vibrant, faithful church clinging to the true doctrine. That's what we should say in our day. We're not doing it, but God's Word is doing it. If a church lacks true biblical preaching, it's not a church. It's nothing more than a pure, poor excuse for a social club. I say poor excuse because we don't even have the ability to entertain you the way most social clubs can. If that's what you're looking for, there's better places. The godly elder must hold fast to sound doctrine, teach and exhort others in that sound doctrine, and the godly elder must be competent to defend sound doctrine, rebuke or refute, to speak against sound doctrine. Titus 1, 10 through 16 is clearly the subject of what Paul's speaking about here. You're to refute those who are talking about these silly myths, this circumcision party, you're to go after them, Titus, with the Word of God. Go after them, hunt them down, and show them to be false teachers. Now, in our day of political correctness, it's easy. It's easy to forget this portion of the pastor's work. Matter of fact, if you set out to do this, you'll be ridiculed. People will say things like, well, who made you? Uh, the, the bearer of all knowledge. Who put you in charge? How do you know you're right and I'm not right? Our only humble and simple answer must be, I'm not right. God's Word is right. If you have a problem with this clear teaching of the Scripture, you have a problem with God and you have a problem with His Word, not me. We're to go after false teachers, those who would lead the sheep astray. 
even in our politically correct world, where it may offend you at times when I say things from the pulpit publicly about other people and other teachers. But I only do it. I only do it because it's necessary. I can't tell you the number of poor people that sit under Bible teaching, so-called Bible teaching, for years on the TV. And their very souls are at stake. And no one dares tell them because they're afraid they'll offend them. That guy is not a true teacher of the Word of God. Instead, at the family reunion table, we laugh and joke while Christ grieves. We need to defend the faith. We need to hold to the true doctrine, the healthy doctrine. And anyone who doesn't should be pointed out as a false teacher. You say, well, that's kind of harsh now. I'm stepping on a toe or two. I'm going to close with this passage. Beloved, Jude, verse 3. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Jude, the brother of Christ, would say to you, defend the faith delivered to you by the Word of God. Look what he says in verse 17, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And so I would say, Gresh Fellowship, a true elder, does these three things. I would say that a true elder holds to the Word of God, teaches healthy doctrine, and defends that doctrine from everyone who would stand against it. And I'm charging you as a church to do the same. I'm calling you. If you call yourself by the name of Jesus Christ, I'm calling you to cling to the faith. Hold to the doctrine. Teach it to your children, to your husband, to your wives. Teach it. Teach it to your employees and your fellow employees your employers and your fellow employees. Teach it and defend it. Don't leave it to someone else, a hired gun of some sort. You teach it. You live it. And the Jude closes with one of the greatest doxologies of all time. To him who is able, to him who is able to cause that kingdom to stand forever and ever. Amen. The kingdom stands. The church will win. Christ will come again. And all who oppose Him will be punished for eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that the kingdom has come near in Christ.
that we have come to this holy mountain and that now we go seeking others to be citizens of the heavenly city. Holding on to the word, teaching the word, defending the word. May this be our one book and may we live by it and preach it until you call us home or come again to consummate your great kingdom. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being with us.